Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and praise you for the gift of the saints. I thank you for the gift of St. Catherine of Siena. Lord, we love you and praise you and honor you for uh, raising up great saints. And we praise and honor you, Lord, for their yes. Lord, we uh, honor them and we ask that today, Lord, we would uh, be inspired by their lives to be holy. We'd be inspired by their lives to live as saints, Lord, help us to not settle for less. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're going to dive right into St. Catherine of Siena. I have a lot of affection for her. I, I, and I, I just I love that that's an, a thing. It's not just that I have a devotion to St. Catherine of Siena, where sometimes when you think of devotion, you think of, um, a sort of um, posture or stance where you look lovingly at someone who's up on a pedestal, like up at a higher place, and there is a kind of um, uh, remaining distant um, and, and a kind of an effusiveness. Um, but th- there's less of a relationship because the one that is the devotee can feel too far away, uh, an unfamiliar there's an unfamiliarity because of the the greatness of the one that is um, the the one to whom one has devotion, uh, I, and maybe that's just me. But that that's sometimes how when I think about people who are very devoted to saints, uh, it doesn't always come across as having a sense of familiarity. So today I'm going to encourage you to gain a familiarity. Familiarity. What's what's the familiar family? Uh, to consider that St. Catherine of Siena could become part of your family. And the church is, in, in some powerful, beautiful ways, what? The family of God. Isn't that a, a great uh, way of understanding the church? Right? We think of the church as the body of Christ, the church as the people of God, the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit, the church as the mystical body of Christ, the church as the community of disciples, right? There, there are lots of different uh, ways of identifying the, the reality of the church. But one, the family of God, that was one that uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, I think, popularized quite a bit in the, uh, in the early 90s, um, the church as the family of God. And that, I think, has a, what, a natural tendency to then say, God the Father, wait a minute, there's a, a familiar aspect to God the Father. Yes, God the Father is infinitely transcendent in eternal mystery and the source of all being, and yet he's also Abba, Daddy. There's a, a being drawn into nearness. There's a tenderness there. And we are invited into the intimate tender nearness of knowing the Father because we have been elevated into the status of children of God through baptism, through incorporation into the church where we become incorporated into Jesus Christ. The, the way that, one way that the church has talked about this is that we are sons in the Son. We are sons and daughters of God in the Son of God. We are immersed into 
the reality of the second person of the Trinity. We share in God's own divine life um, in the place of the Son. And in that place, we come into a filial relationship with the Father. And because we are distinct persons from the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, it is through the gift of his Spirit that dwells in our hearts. It's his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, that stirs within our spirit the cry, Abba, Father. So we have this Trinitarian way of relating to God, but we do so as members of the church, the family of God. And one of the incredible gifts that the church gives, uh, I'm sorry, that God gives to us members of the church here on earth is a sense of brotherly and sisterly familiarity with the saints. Now that can almost immediately sound foreign. It can sound overblown. It can sound uh, str strange because who talks like that? Who, who, uh, who experiences that? Can, can we really experience this sense of the reality of the saints in heaven? Because that seems all rather, what, invisible? It seems all rather uh, unobvious. And if the saints were that obvious, well, wouldn't we have more people talking about it, <laughs> right? Wouldn't we have more people talking about uh, the reality of the saints in heaven being familiar to us? Not to mention the angels and our guardian angel. You think if there's going to be one heavenly being that would be more intimately connected with our day-to-day -day existence, don't you think it would be our own guardian angels who are our constant companions, leading and providing and protecting us? along the path of this life. And, and for me, I think that we end up getting things askew. We end up missing out on what is available to us if we just look around at the general public or the typical Catholic as a standard. In fact, the church does propose a type of standard follower of Christ, a standard Christian. There's a, reason, there's a reason why I'm using standard, because the word canon, the canon is the rule or the standard, the canon of scripture. It's the rule or the standard that's applied to which books are considered inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and therefore there is a quality of a holy writing here, not just um, a, 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 a writing that is motivating um, and encouraging and poetic. Um, but no, this is God-breathed, right? Well, what's the process of raising up men and women that have been identified in the church's life as specially blessed by God and living a holy life? They're canonized, right? The saints. So they live the standard life. We just fall short of the standard. And if you look at the standard life, if you look at the lives of saints, well, guess what? <laughs> you find that they have, have quite a bit of familiarity with their guardian angels, quite a bit of familiar, warm 
relating with the saints that have gone before. So when they have a devotion to, especially the Blessed Mother, but other saints as well, you can read it in their writings. This sense of an intimate uh, reality, a knowing, a connection. And so today we look at St. Catherine of Siena. And we want to learn from her life. And in learning from her life, I'm going to encourage you, I'm, I am encouraging you right now to ask the Lord for a gift, the gift of becoming more familiar and having a relationship with St. Catherine of Siena that is more familiar. And, and you can use that word um, devout. The, the, I, I want a devotion to, to St. Catherine of Siena, but in a sense of a warm relationship, a warm connection, a deep sense of even feeling proud about St. Catherine of Siena. I, and I, I'm trying to circle around the right way of saying it because I, I'm trying to break open the concept for you in a way that maybe is different than you're accustomed to it. But I'm going to make it a little more dramatic and say, maybe you're listening to this program and hearing what I'm saying right now, precisely because the Lord, and yeah, you know what? Even St. Catherine is smiling down upon your life, and St. Catherine is ready to become a favored intercessor for you in turning to her that she would love to bring you close to Jesus she would love to be someone who would intercede for you and the situations and circumstances of the life that you have right now. Isn't that an awesome thought? Consider it. Consider that that just might be the case, that St. Catherine today is looking for a bunch of other members of the family of God on earth, that she can be a a beautiful vessel communicating blessings from God through Jesus. He's our one intercessor, our one mediator. But St. Catherine, she's a member of the body of Christ, and she's doing in heaven what Jesus is doing, not next to Jesus, but through, with, and in Jesus. The Lord loves to raise up those who raised him up in their lives. So maybe be ready today to be surprised at the little reminder, the little prompting, the little signal that St. Catherine of Siena is saying, I got you covered. I'm here for you. And so here, let me give you a story that's connected to that. I've got a bunch of St. Catherine stories, and then I've got some quotes, but stories that will put some flesh on what I just said to you. So I think a lot of you, if you've listened to Sound Insight for a lot of years, I've been on um, daily since 2005, daily, Monday to Friday, um, that in being blessed with nine children, um, these kids have a variety of temperaments and personalities and, and also capabilities and, and limitations. Well, one of my kids um, was born with a significant birth defect. And this significant birth defect was involving internal systems not being fully formed. And as a result of that, there was a necessity of having a number of surgeries. And um, uh, surgeries that would happen um, uh, in different parts of the country. 
to go to specialty children's hospitals. And so she had um, nine surgeries in the first 11 years of her life um, to address this condition. And um, it was the, the last surgery where there was a lot at stake. I mean, there was a lot at stake in a number of them, but this last one was an attempt to sort of launch her into a different place in life in terms of um, helping her to um, have a, what we could call a normal life. And so um, I thank God for the gift of um, uh, medical professionals and surgeons, my goodness, uh, to see the work that they do, the way that they save lives, the way that they rescue lives, the way that they intervene and do things in, in this moment in history. Like, thanks be to God, we, we, you and I, like we're alive in the time when we're alive with the health, uh, medication, the expertise, the technology, uh, the ability to, uh, if you can't find your, the expertise you have here, you can go there. That All of that, right? Well, um, uh, this, we, I got to see this up close and personal. My goodness. And by the way, just to say this, if you want to get a sense of being grateful to God for the health that you have, go spend some time at a children's hospital. If you want to be grateful for the health you've been given and the health of your family, go spend some time at a children's hospital. It is, it will, it will break your heart open and you will grow in compassion. Let me say, you will grow in compassion. Uh, and, and you'll be amazed at the dedication, the courage, the patience, the generosity of parents who walk alongside children with significant health challenges in life. Uh, amazing. In any event, when it came time for um, this daughter of mine to have a, um, her final surgery, it was going to be in uh, this, like this the center in the U.S., uh, in Cincinnati that was that addressed this issue in children. And um, we had to find a date that worked. And so we found the only date on the calendar that they could fit her in in the time frame she needed. And so uh, I flew out there with her, and we checked in um, uh, at the hospital uh, the night before when the surgery, the surgeries were going to happen. And when we got there and checked in, um, I signed the documents and then I looked up and the date that she was having her surgery was the feast of St. Catherine of Siena. And the amazing thing was, is that I just had to smile. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, you're with us. Because this daughter of mine was Mary Catherine. And uh, I just was so touched that St. Catherine was winking from heaven saying, I'm with you and, and we've got this. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today on this feast of St. Catherine of Siena. And I just love St. Catherine. And I just, I think she smiles that at that, that she loves me. She loves my family. Um, we, one of the ways that we honored her was by naming our third daughter, Mary Catherine. And I, I've shared, I shared this on a recent program. Uh, I think it was on Monday's, Tuesday's program, where I was talking about 
names and John Mark on the feast of Mark the Evangelist, whose name was John Mark, and I have a son, John Mark. And how names were something that we always discerned, Carrie and I as a family, and how for girls, the names Catherine and Teresa are just so often just these world beaters, like bring it on, that's all you got, we got this. And so there is a way in which a personality fits a name, but a name also shapes a personality. I believe that. That's my theory. That's my theory. That uh, and, and maybe it was that the Lord inspired Carrie and me to name this daughter of ours Mary Catherine, but we had a sense that, okay, this one's going to be a world beater, but let's soften it. Let's soften it with the the docility and the availability, the heroic availability of the mother of God. And so I, that's, by the way, that's a little hint into the reason why uh, all of our girls uh, either have the name Anne or Mary in their names. Because if you're not going to honor the mother of God with your daughter, honor the mother of God's mother. <laughs> and it's a great way to get in good with the mother of God is to name one of your children in honor of her mother. Oh, man, that's a strategic move. So that's why we have Mary Grace, Anne-Marie, Mary Catherine, Ariana, Annalise, Luciana, and Liliana. So all honoring the Blessed Mother and honoring her mother in one way or the uh, directly or indirectly. So... So names, so very important, but it also has the sense of a warm connection, just this this warm familiarity. So I just told you the story before the break about the hospital and how the date of the surgery was the feast of St. Catherine of Siena. And it just took my breath away. It was just this, again, this little sign and indicator that even though heaven is invisible to earth, Earth is visible to heaven. Even though heaven is invisible to earth, earth is visible to heaven. And uh, it, it brings me around to the way in which um, I, I've had this, um, like, how, how did this relationship begin? Like, how did it grow? Like, people, like, when we meet, when Carrie and I meet with other couples for the first time, um, one of the things that Carrie is really good at is, I want to hear your story. How did you meet? When did you first date? Who liked who first? How did the relationship unfold? When did you decide to get married? Uh, it just as a way, and, and it tends to bring smiles on their people's faces when you talk about the way that uh, a relationship begins and it develops. Well, my relationship with St. Catherine of Siena began by reading um, the story of her life written by her spiritual director, Raymond of Capua. And in that book, it's amazing. You want to fall in love with St. Catherine of Siena? Read that book. Read the story of uh, the, the biography of St. Catherine of Siena by her spiritual director. If you want a guy who had the inside scoop on her life, yeah, that would be the one. Get the priest, the Dominican priest, who was the 14th century, because she lived in the 14th century, 1347 to 1380. Uh, you you want to get the insights drawn from the spiritual director. So um, in there, um, he references, and you get to see a, um, um, a number of insights that come from her primary work. 
Her primary work is called The Dialogue. And I asked you the question earlier in the program, with whom is Catherine of Siena in dialogue? And of course, the answer is Jesus. And for those of you who don't know, I'll just mention it in passing, that she's not, this writing is not the result of her sitting down and um, fictionalizing what a conversation with Jesus would be like and putting theological and spiritual insights into a conversational form, right? So you could say like the imitation of Christ does that, uh, and Thomas Akempis, or Hansers von Balthasar's book, The Heart of the World, has a number of chapters that are stunning that are in the form of Jesus talking to the disciple or the disciple talking to Jesus. But this book, The Dialogue, is not like that. St. Catherine of Siena didn't sit down with a uh, put pen to paper. No, the dialogue was what was recorded by those who heard St. Catherine of Siena speak in her own voice and then have the response spoken back by Jesus. And so she would be conveying both ends of the conversation, what she would ask and what Jesus would answer. What the, and, and then the, the dialogue that went was all coming from her one mouth, and it was being recorded by those who heard this ecstatic, uh, if from a place of ecstasy, from a place of in prayer, she was drawn up into that type of intimate communion that was beyond her own awareness of the world. So the, the world, connected to the five senses, diminished, and what became more apparent was the mystical union that she was experiencing with Christ. And let's take this seriously. If, in fact, St. Catherine had this incredible relationship with Jesus that um, was, let's, you know, it was, it was interior and therefore hidden. It spoke of a degree of familiarity. There's that word again. The, a dialogue involves communication two ways, right? And too often prayer for us is one-way communication where we're speaking to God and we just hope he hears us. Well, St. Catherine of Siena um, was chosen by the Lord, and really despite her desires, to have her most intimate communications with the Lord in the mystical experience of ecstasy for her to have these dialogues and have them be heard, overheard, but for the good of the church. And for the good of the church, these things were, were written down. And so she's a doctor of the church. She's a doctor of the church, not because of her extensive studies. No, that wasn't her background. Her background wasn't involving extensive studies. No, she's a doctor of the church because of the height of holiness that she achieved. Because she loved God so deeply, she knew him so profoundly. Because her love of God was so uh, intense, so complete, she came to a level of understanding and insight 
that is of benefit to everyone. And so I, I want to encourage you to read the dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena, but start with the biography from um, Blessed Raymond of, of Capua. You know, I guess if you're going to have a saint for a saint who's a doctor of the church as a spiritual directee, it'll probably impact your holiness as well. So uh, Raymond of Capua, a holy priest of God in his own right, um, had the incredible blessing of having this saint as a directee. So St. Catherine of Siena, for me, is someone who we, we can expect, we, we might expect, to have a particular fondness for dialogue, a particular fondness for uh, communication back and forth. So I, I just bring this again before you just to say, just might be the case that St. Catherine of Siena wants to be involved in your life more fully. So uh, today in Sound Insight, I'm recording this program on Wednesday. Now, the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena is on Friday. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure if this program is airing on Friday or on Thursday. <laughs> Sometimes the production schedule is a little bit off. So you may actually get this program in advance of the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena, or you might be hearing it on the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena. Either way, it's, it's meant to be a tremendous gift to you. Okay, next is this, is that um, my own relationship with St. Catherine of Siena began with the, the reading of that book. And when I had a chance to finally get to Siena, it was with my older brother when he graduated from college and I finished my first year in the seminary. Um, we were given a, a beautiful gift by my parents, the opportunity to go to Italy for a handful of weeks. I think we were there for almost a month. And we uh, traveled together, my brother and I. And I remember one of the very first nights, it might have in fact been the first night that I was there uh, in in Siena. Um, no, sorry, not Siena, in Pinzolo, in Pinzolo, Italy. That was the, well, it was in the next little hamlet, the next tiny village next to, to Pinzolo called Vadaion, next to Giustino. These were the tiny little towns where my mom, uh, a native Italian, was born. And so we were staying in the home uh, where she grew up. Uh, well, she lived for the first few years of her life and before she came to America uh, after the Second World War. And being back in that home, um, it was powerful. So the two of us are there, and I'm praying, um, and I can remember, I was on my knees praying, and I just had this sense of St. Catherine of Siena. I just had this sense of her being with me in my time of prayer. Now, that doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen with this sense of, oh, the saints are kind of looking over my shoulder. Um, but I think it was just a grace. It was just a grace of the Lord um, granting to me this sense of that you have a communion with the saints of heaven, and uh, the Lord will maybe make more visible this connection between heaven and earth, between the saints of heaven and those of us that are here on earth. And, and if it's too much of a stretch for you to think that one of these great saints 
that uh, the church um, uh, lifts up before our eyes would be someone interested in you? Well, at least begin with your own family members that you admire, that were um, women or men of faith and who have gone home to be with the Lord. Have you ever felt a sense of urge to pray for them? Or have you ever, like, as if they're in purgatory, and um, praying for them that they would be freed from any purification and be um, arrive at their um, final uh, resting place, home with God? Um, or if have you ever uh, conversely had a sense of your loved one watching over you, the one you know, your mom or your dad, your grandparent, uncle, aunt, uh, or child, a sibling, watching over you? and how the Lord is connecting you. Um, he can do that. He, he does do that. I, I have to now share, there's a, this is a little departure from St. Catherine of Siena for a moment, but it was a way that the Lord, I don't know, I think the Lord is bringing up an area of my life where I need to be converted and healed, both things, converted. And when I say converted, it means it's a place where there's a darkness in my life, where there is sin that is either in my life or like a landmine i step on it and it can lead me to sin and it might and, and it's i think connected to a wound in my life and and i'm not you know i'm not a guy that kind of walks around talking about oh i'm so wounded or you know feeling like a, a kind of neediness wearing it on my sleeves I, I i don't mean it like that that so that might that word might be too strong but i think that it was a sense of um, lashing out. Um, well, what am I talking about? Well, my sister Diane, um, we have a group text among my siblings, and my sister Diane said, hey, do you, anybody remember this guy um, from um, our time in high school? Because the, the five current kids were all in high school pretty close together, the three boys in three years, and then skip a year, and then the two girls after. So there was a lot of overlap between us. And I um and I rem- I saw the name and I'm like oh my goodness is it that guy, is it that guy, and when I saw the name, I flashed back to a memory, of a guy, that I I never I don't think I ever even talked to him in my life maybe just once, it, it wasn't even it was just like on a football field where we were playing, um you know not on a team but just kind of you know playing. Two, 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 you know, a group of guys break up into two teams, and and he was on the other team, and I can remember covering him, or he was covering me, and um, and it was, it, you know, I, I don't know if I beat him or or something like that, but there was a sense of like conflict between us, and it, and it was on his part, not on mine, um, not that I. Not that I remember, anyways. <laughs> I was I told Carrie the story. She's like, "Were you being super, uh, super? Uh, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, uh, not not aggressive. What's the word? Competitive. Were you being super competitive? Were you trying to like outdo him and and did it with a, a way that just would kind of stir someone up? And I don't remember that, but it is possible that that's what it was. In any case, the next day in school. Uh, across the cafeteria, this guy's sitting with his buddies, I'm sitting with mine, and the guy is staring me down. He's just staring at me. And it's clear that he's like talking to other guys, but he's looking at me. And I'm like, what is that all about? Well, I'll tell you more to the story in a minute. 
Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you today. So I'm talking about this connection, this mysterious connection in the body of Christ, this family of God. And in the family of God, the relationships that the Lord institutes, the Lord initiates, the Lord opens up before us. And if we're available, we can be led into relationships with others in the body of Christ. I'm focused today on the relationships with saints in particular, St. Catherine of Siena, and saying to you, are you open, O member of the family of God, to be led into a more intimate and familiar relationship with St. Catherine of Siena? I'm not saying so much that you're going to become a devotee, you're going to get a statue, you're going to wear a holy medal. Yes, those things are beautiful and can be wonderfully expressive of a sense of relationship and connection. Um, I'm not even saying that you're going to become a student of hers and study her theology, which is also very beautiful and very worthy of study and just might stir you up. Uh, I'm saying that you can you can have a sense of familiar connection that is linking heaven and earth, that's linking the sense of there's a saint in heaven that loves you and is caring for you. Okay, so I was just telling before the story of the break about this guy that my sister in this group text said, hey, anybody remember this guy? And it flashed back to this memory um, that involved conflict and involved the stare down and involved this sense of, you know, uh, uh, you know, daggers in the eyes. And I was trying to avoid that. I was just like, what is this guy doing? Be that as it may, uh, nothing ever happened, but that those, those encounters lingered in me. And I, I think they like, it was like a seed sown in my heart. And what it gave rise to, I, I even hate to say this out loud, was um, a, a little bit of malice. A li- Don't you like how I kind of downplay it by calling it a little bit? <laughs> you know, one of the distinctive things about malice is among the different sins uh, anybody know? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, anyone know what's distinctive about malice among uh, among sins? It, it's not the only one, but it's one of the rare ones where there is no positive expression of malice. Right? Many uh, many vices are distortions of virtues. Many expressions that are sinful are warped manifestations of something that is naturally good or naturally uh, supernaturally godly. And so that's often how Satan will twist uh, twist what is holy and good and attempt to warp it into something that is sinful. Malice isn't like that. Malice is not warping anything good into something bad. Malice is simply wanting evil to to hit someone's life wanting evil for someone and it's it's sort of like willing evil in their regard and when i i i think about this memory i just shared with you i probably thought about it i don't know once a decade for the last 30 or 40 years right so just a, a handful of times I, and who even knows the circumstances when when that story would pop back up inside of me. But then all of a sudden, my sister brings this guy up. And when I saw the name, I'm like, is it that guy? Is that the guy? I wasn't even exactly sure if it was the name. And 
part of me was thinking, oh, if it is that guy, and all of a sudden, I sort of stumbled into, like, imagine imagine that you're in a, a really, really big house with all kinds of doors in it, and that's like your memory. And when that name popped up, I opened up a door to a, that memory that I had, and it was like, oof, this stinks. This stinks of malice. This stinks of a kind of darkness. What is going on? That <laughs> that would be something that lives inside of me. Well, the rest of the story is that she then shared in this text chat a, a, a link to his obituary. And I went, oh my goodness. And there was a picture connected to the obituary. And I'm like, I can't even tell if that's the guy, right? Because he would just be a year behind me in high school. And he was, in fact, my age. And and then my sister typed something else in about his life. And I then opened up the obituary and I'm like, is this the guy? And there was a slideshow and it started from when he was a baby and it moved up into his high school years. And I'm like, oh, that's the guy. Well, come to find out that this guy, four years after graduating from high school, three years after graduating from high school, had a cerebral hemorrhage and was in a coma for five years. Not expected to live, but ended up coming out of the coma and lived for the last 30 years in a sort of impaired, simple, like a much, much reduced condition and then, and then died. And I have to admit, this was, it was striking to me for a few reasons. Uh, the first reason was h- how tragic that this young man, when he was, you know, a mere, what, 25 or 26 years old, no, not even, 20, yeah, 25 or 26 years old, um, no, not even, 22 or 23 years old, um, ends up having this terrible, unexpected, out of the blue, cerebral hemorrhage. And it what changes his whole life, right? It just fundamentally shifts his whole life. Um, and, and it's just like, oh my gosh, I would not want that evil to reach his life at all. Oh my goodness, no. What a terrible, what a horrible thing. And for him to live out the rest of his life in this significantly diminished condition, essentially being a child cared for by his parents for the last 30 years. Um, Wow. It, It talk about just stopping and saying the mercy of God is so abundant in our regard. Do, Do we just take God for granted and take for granted the, the mercies, the health that he has given to us. Uh, the second reason is that um, it was this cerebral hemorrhage that he had that left him in that condition. And, well, about three weeks ago was when I had this concussion and have had my own form of you know suffering and um, diminishment in, in the past weeks. Um, and when I read that, there was this immediate sense of the Lord saying, I want to redeem the malice that you've had towards him. Even in that locked room 
far away in my past, that sense of malice, I want to redeem that. Uh, offer up your suffering for him and his salvation. Offer up the suffering for him and his spiritual good. And it just, it was like, wow, you know, the Lord does a thousand things with any one thing. And I think about the way in which my stupidity, my lack of prudence that led to my concussion, God is redeeming it. He's redeeming it in a way that has linked me to the people that I've been praying for who have also experienced either a brain trauma or uh, a serious, very serious concussion, and now linking me to this fellow that I would not thought about for, I don't know, decades and and yet there he was in my in my memory, not in a healthy life giving way, that there was a sense of malice towards him, and the Lord doesn't want me to live with malice in my heart towards anybody, towards any precious soul. And you know, lo and behold, his um, his uh, funeral mass. I come to find out he's Catholic, <laughs> even though he was Catholic. I guess I should have guessed with his last name, but he went to the other parish in town. So I guess we were ecumenical. <laughs> um, but um, he, uh, uh, on the the feast of St. Catherine of Siena is the vigil um, service for him, and then the funeral is on Saturday. And so I'm like, wow, okay. I, I have some penance to do. I have some making up to do. Um, and so I, I want, Lord, I want to redeem the the evil that I even in my secret places of my heart 30 years ago willed towards him or 35 years ago. Uh, Lord, I want to redeem that. I want to redeem that now in uh, my prayers for him, a member of the family of God. He was part of the, the Catholic Church. I didn't even realize it then. And again, he was just, just skirted the edges of my life with just a couple of little, just a couple of interactions. And yet, look at what the body of Christ, look at how the Lord can link us together in the body of Christ in ways that will uh, purify us, in ways that will glorify the Lord, in the ways that will help us to advance in that sense of familiarity that the Lord wills for the members of his body in the church. All right, more on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Karn. Today on the program, I am honoring St. Catherine of Siena. This is that time of year when the church honors this great saint, and it's something that we don't want to miss out on. We don't want to miss out on the gift of having a relationship with the great saints of the church, and she's one of the only women doctors of the church. She lived in the 14th century, and um, she was given the gift that uh, is almost like the coolest spiritual gift to ask for, really. Um, we had a priest over for dinner, and um, the kids were asking him questions. And uh, you know how people talk about, oh, if you could have one superpower, what would be? Well, the kids asked him, if you could have one mystical gift, what would it be? Right, mystical gifts. Like, I think I'd choose bilocation. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> All 
right? What's by location where the Lord and the, and the mystery of his plan for uh, a saint's life, that saint becomes so available that they can be in prayer in their uh, monastic cell or in their own hidden space in one part of the world, and the Lord moves them to be at work in another part of the world. And there they do some kind of you know, spiritual action. Sometimes it's preaching, sometimes it's um, responding to some need, even catechizing. Um, there are some lots of neat stories. I don't know if you've ever met anyone who has been the um, recipient of a bilocation. I've met two. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, well, I'll tell you one of them. One of them was a, um, a a woman who has an incredible gift of discerning spirits, um, of prayer for deliverance, um, and prayer for healing. And this woman would be someone who would teach bishops and exorcists about uh, about discerning demonic influence, discerning various forms of demons. And boy, I've got just a number of stories of um, the gift that uh, the Lord gave me in in being connected to this woman, this really, again, mystically gifted woman. Uh, One really cool story was we were uh, on a prayer team together. Now that's pretty cool, praying with um, people, right? So after, after a talk, at the end of an evening, okay, people can come forward and we pray with them for whatever their need is. And um, there was, uh, in in this one particular evening, we were praying together, and I just was kind of, I was praying fervently and and sincerely and and authentically, um, you know, with all that was in me. But boy, to see her gift at work of praying with people in that moment was just astounding. Um, There was one one particular guy, uh, we were praying with him, and then she looked up and stopped and said, um... Before we continue praying, I'm going to encourage you to go to confession. And he looked at her and was like, "What?" And he called. He he pulled her. She pulled him aside, whispered into his ear, and he was like, oh, "He turned white," <laughs> and he went in line to go to confession. So she had a little word of knowledge about a particular sin or sins that were on his soul that he needed to repent of and be uh, receive absolution from in order to be able to move forward in um, to move forward in uh, receiving healing he wanted healing for something well he had to remove the biggest blockage which was uh, some mortal sin or sins that were severing him from the the life of God flowing through him in a living way well um, the uh, the the next uh, thing that happened was there were these group of kids that came up and we were praying with them one at a time, and it was like the fourth kid I don't know maybe the fifth kid out of this group of I don't know seven or eight kids, and you know this particular kid came up and as we were about to pray with these kids, she stopped and she called over the leader, and she said to the leader she said this young man isn't baptized, is he? And he looked at her, and again, kind of deer in the headlights, he's like, uh, yeah. I mean, how did you know? And she looked at me, and she said, well, you could tell, couldn't you? 
can tell. Of course you can. Of course that one's not baptized. I'm like, well, yeah, come on. It's obvious. Of course that one's not baptized. These other ones are all baptized. That one's not. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, she's like, look, um, you know, it just, this is something that I want to recommend, you know, that you get this young man's parents to get them catechized and, and get him baptized. And um, the, uh, well, there were other stories. I'll stop because, well, here's another one. She was, well, she was doing a retreat. She was leading a retreat for um, these group of folks at this retreat house. And um, I guess this retreat house is, is really old and it was like the place of uh, like a religious community um, that had a very holy founder and all of this. Well, uh, during one of the breaks, she was out um, just sort of sitting at a picnic table out on the grounds and um, and just praying. And this uh, woman's uh, elderly woman came and sat with her and started to talk with her and um, shared some encouraging words to her, just really encouraged her um, uh, about what she was saying and doing and um, had some other things to say to her that she found particularly inspiring and to be a real blessing to have this communication with this woman. And she came inside, and she happened to be talking with um, some of the religious sisters that were there um, in the community. And um, and she looked up on the wall, and she saw a picture, a painting, of, of the elderly woman that she had met outside. And she said, oh, my goodness. I said, look at that. That's a really beautiful portrait. It looks just like, you know, so-and-so. Um, and and, like, and the, the nuns looked at her and said, what, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I was just visiting with her. What do you mean you were just visiting with her? Well, we were just, I was just visiting with her out, uh, out on the picnic table. She came and she sat with me and um, we were talking. And they said, she's been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> I guess that's not by location, actually. That's a that's a visitation from heaven. So, uh, all right. So it's only one person that I know that received a by location. So I- I'm wrong there. Uh, so I- I'll have to leave that one alone. Okay. So I think I would pick by location. Um, but this priest that was over when. Uh, when they asked him the question, well, what gift would you a- uh, ask for, mystical gift, if you could have it? He said, the invisible stigmata. The invisible stigmata. And I thought, oh, man, that, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Because, well, why? Well, because the stigmata is what? It's a sign of a profound union with Jesus Christ crucified, right? If we want to be fruitfully used by God, if we want to be fruitfully useful to the Lord and bringing about the salvation that he won for the world, if he's going to involve the family of God and bringing about the work of God, the salvation of of all human beings, then he draws us in and he draws us into that saving work by the words that we speak, the deeds that we do, most profoundly by what we suffer. Wow, by what we suffer. And so if you are brought into union with the suffering Christ, where does Christ suffer? Well, in his passion and his death on the cross. And so if you receive the gift of the stigmata, it's a sign of the degree of intense, profound union that you have with Christ crucified. Well, 
you, you know that there were a number of great saints that had the stigmata. Well, there was one who had received the gift of the stigmata, but prayed that it would remain invisible. And that was, yes, indeed, St. Catherine of Siena. And so she um, was given the gift of mystical marriage. That's what um, that's how it's described, the, this mystical marriage with Jesus, right? And so as the members of the body of Christ, we're members of the bride of Christ. And so consecrated religious, in a very powerful way, are manifesting the life of heaven where we will live that reality that we're members of the bride of Christ. She got to live it more intently here on earth. And she did it um, and received the gift of the invisible stigmata. So um, so it was reported by her spiritual director. Right? How else would they know that? Because if you receive the gift of the invisible stigmata, you have that sense of complete humility before the gift that's been given, the radical humility that says, Lord, I am not worthy to, to display in my life, the life that I live, what you yourself displayed on your body when you lived this perfect life of expiation for our sins in your redemptive crucifixion. Lord, let it be invisible. I'm not worthy to have that display on my body. Wow, that's Catherine of Siena. So I hope that as I've shared with you, I'm sharing with you stories of familiarity, familiarity with the saints, with other members of the body of Christ. And from that familiarity, we can begin to share uh, as uh, after the manner of love in the manner of dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. All right, I hope this was a blessing to you. God bless your day. Join me again on Sound Insight.